Not too bad for eight days after heart surgery, huh? Yeah, thank you, Jesus. I call it surgery as a procedure, but it was serious. And um, I left UVA Hospital thinking, I'm so incredibly grateful for all the people that serve in the medical community. Uh, obviously, the doctors, NPs, PAs, RNs, uh, even the techs, amazing experience. So if you guys do that, I know people rarely say thank you, but I want to say thank you. Thank you for what you do when nobody's watching. Uh, last week, we had Mike Massey, and he was awesome. Annette and I actually watched it online. We worshiped with you guys from Charlottesville, and uh, Massey had a great story. It's almost an unbelievable story of how he went to Passion. He was like in the fifth row with an orange shirt, and this lady, who's kind of a famous worship leader, in the midst of like 10 or 15 or 20,000, however many it was, she started reading this passage, and all of a sudden she said, I believe God's speaking to this man in like the fifth or sixth row in the orange shirt. And that's an unbelievable story, and there's no way possible I could ever compete with Massey's story. He even had a clip of it. <laughs> but I got to say, Massey, if you're listening, uh, I may not have a video, but my story's cooler. <laughs> so when Fleet was 11 years old, it was about 1999, uh, my two favorite baseball teams, uh, the Atlanta Braves, the best team ever, were playing the New York Yankees in the World Series. The World Series. And so I thought it would be cool to go to the World Series, and I took Fleet to New York. And we, the only, only ticket we could get was in the bleachers. That's a cheap section. And let me just say that uh, the bleacher section's a little different than some of the others. They don't exactly speak the Queen's English, if you know what I mean. And so I want to do something for my son that he would never forget. So I took an Elvis costume with me. Not the cheap one you get on Amazon. Like I had this lady in our church was a professional um, costume designer like in Broadway or something. And she, she took rhinestones and leopard skin. It was a black Elvis suit and had just a lot of bling on it. And I'd grown out my sideburns and cut them. You know, I have the fat Elvis, the big sideburns. And uh, I had it all. I had the glasses. And right as the seventh inning stretch was beginning to happen, I snuck away to the bathroom. And then, while everybody was stretching at Yankee Stadium, Elvis appears in the bleacher section. And all the people in the stadium were like, Elvis, Elvis, Elvis. And for 42 seconds, I was the star of the stadium. And dang if those Yankees didn't turn on me like that. I mean, after like 43 seconds into it, they started saying some other cheers you might not want to hear in church. But the point being is that that was an amazing moment. I told the church, y'all watch, you're going to see me on TV. Um, my son will never forget that story. <laughs> At my funeral, I hope somebody tells that story. The man dresses Elvis for his 11-year-old son. That was cool. Now, today, we're diving into Acts chapter 3. I think this is a really awesome story. But we, we, when we go into stories... It'd be really weird to just kind of dive in there and like, I don't know where we are, right? So we like to do book ends. What happens just before Acts chapter 3? And you very intelligently would say, Acts chapter 2. What happens on the front end? What happens on the back end? What happens before Acts 3? If somebody says Acts chapter 2, what pops in your mind? The Holy Spirit falls on the church to give them power, to give them power. 
Jesus said in John 14, 12, he said, it's good, for those of you who believe, it's good that I'm going to the Father because I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit upon you. And he, he said, you're gonna do even greater things than I've done. Friends, that's hard to believe, but Jesus said it. You're gonna do even greater things because I'm going to the Father and I will ask for it in my name. Now, what's on, the, so, so that's going on. The Holy Spirit comes, 3,000 come to Jesus. It was a charismatic, moving, powerful time in the Lord. The kind of place and the kind of event, the kind of time we want to be part of. So that was happening. But then on the backside, what's after Acts 3? Acts 4. What happens in Acts 4? Well, a lot of stuff, the thing I want you to notice is that Peter and John, who are the central characters in Acts chapter 3, they're arrested for doing what the Lord called them to do. They're arrested for stepping into this spirit ministry. So that's what happened, bookends. Now let's go to the actual text itself. Brian, would you be, do me a favor and get me some water so I can preach longer? That'd be great. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. So apparently the Jews had three, um, it wasn't mandatory, but pious Jews, good Jews, would go to the temple, in spite of their work day, they'd go to the temple uh, at nine in the morning, then they'd go at 3 p.m., and then they would go at sunset, whenever that may be. Now, that's cool in and of itself. Thanks, brother. Um, the thing I noticed for the first time in 40 years of Bible reading, what had just happened in Acts 2? Remind me. Whoo! The Holy Ghost. Jumping, shouting, tongues, prophecy, salvations, right? Who doesn't want to be part of that kind of worship? I, as a kid who grew up in a highly liturgical church, I, I just loved it when I got introduced to the Spirit's ministry. But lest you be like so many people that go, oh, we just want to be like the early church. Well, first of all, the early church, most of them were killed. But the other thing what I want to say is, while they did have like spirit-filled dancing and tongues and prophecy and healings and all these things, they also had liturgical worship. It's right in the book. There was both. And I think both are needed and both are healthy. So we see Peter and John, who had been part of Pentecost, it was their habit regularly, three times a day, to go to the temple to say set prayers. You see the balance there? See the balance. Okay, so... Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, this is funny, because if you preach it in college, everybody goes, the ninth hour, what's that, like 9 p.m.? Um, what's the ninth hour? Let's just say the first hour is 6 a.m., so help me out. S 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, Third one, two. Oh, oh. So let's see. Is that right? Anyway, it's it's three o'clock. It's three o'clock. I just can't do math. It's three o'clock. So so in the middle of their day, they're going for the second time of prayer that pious Jews went to, um, and perhaps they were joining some of the believers in the Acts two forty two kind of worshiping in the temple courts. But as they go up to the temple to do their prayer, corporate prayer. It says in verse 2, it says, A man lame from birth, 
a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful Gate. A man lame from birth. You guys, most of you know, I've gotten a new hip. This other one's awaiting. Um, You know, I've broken my leg. Every time you have one of those things, you realize like being handicapped is something most of us never think about. But when you have something like that, you realize, wow, that ramp's pretty steep. Wow, there are a lot of steps. Wow, it's hard. So one of my dear friends said, born lame from birth, he said, you know, I, I don't know what it is to walk. Say, like if you're a Marine and you step on an IED and it blows up and you lose your legs, you kind of know what you, you no longer have. But those lame from birth, they, they don't even know what it's like to walk or run. And so this man who is lame from birth Uh, He's being carried by friends who lay him daily at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful. Um, I find that very interesting. The Beautiful Gate, according, preachers love to cite Josephus. He's he's a Jewish historian. But it gives us a source outside the New Testament to talk about things we see in the New Testament. Josephus talks about the Beautiful Gate. And he said it was just massive. It was 60 feet tall and really, really, really wide, and it was just a grand entrance into the temple. And it was overlaid with thick sheets of silver and gold and even Corinthian bronze. And so when the, eastern, when the sun would come up in the morning in the east, it would hit the massive, the, the doors. It took 20 men to open it. It would hit that and it would glow like heavenly fire. There's also an interesting thing. It says, the man lame from birth was being carried and they laid him at uh, the gate of the temple called the beautiful gate. See, in those days, I don't know if it happens now, but in those days, if somebody had an infirmity, if they were sick or blind or deaf or couldn't walk or had something else, in those days, people said, who sinned, this man or his parents? They always went right there. And so there was this sense of this, this man who could not walk, he, he not only couldn't walk, he couldn't be married. He couldn't go into the temple to worship. He couldn't even go in. He was lame. He couldn't provide for himself. And so they laid him, it's, it's, it's ironic, they laid him at the beautiful gate. I don't know about you, but I'm guessing he wasn't feeling really beautiful. Somebody carried him, dropped him. Has to beg. Wasn't feeling real beautiful about himself. And how ironic that this story takes place at the beautiful gate. But the Lord saw him as beautiful. That's the point. The Lord saw him as beautiful. So we continue. As he was laid at the beautiful gate, he he asked for alms to all those who were entering the temple. That's pretty good strategy. I don't know how many of you guys have been to India I worked there for a summer, and uh, every time we go to our Church of South India church, there's a long driveway in, and people who had leprosy and people who were missing hands and uh, were blind or lame or whatever, they were there to beg. And it's very effective because when you're going to church, you're kind of like, I got to give to them, right? I got to give. I know what it's like to, to drive into church and to see people that are really destitute, and you're like, ah, I don't have any money. 
how hard it must be for those people, but they were effective. They went to the temple, and they knew that in the Jewish world, it was, it was a blessing of God to give alms to the poor. And so very strategic that they were there. Now let's look in verse 3. Seeing Peter and John going, about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him. So are you like me? When you see somebody in the street with a sign saying, you know, starving or whatever, what do they say on their signs? I hardly look. I don't, that's the whole point. I don't like to look at them. I mean, I pull up in front of Tanglewood Mall and I see the dude and I'm going to stop sign, so I will pull my phone up at a stop sign. And strangely, I just find reason to busy myself and not look at that person. Because if I look at him, I get convicted that he's a real person and I may have to give him some of my money. So it's just easier not to look. Look busy. So Peter directed his gaze at, at this man uh, born lame, as did John, and he said, look, look at us. See, that's the whole point. God doesn't just want to flip him coins. He cares about this man as a person. And he says, no, 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 no. I want you to look me in the eyes. I want to know you. I want to know you. Yesterday, Winnie, is that Winnie there? Hi, Winnie. She's a precious little one. Winnie was cutting a tooth or had something going on. She was crying, and she doesn't cry very often. And it, it just hurt my grandfather's heart. And she was crying. I was trying to comfort her, and she wouldn't be comforted. And I knew this passage. And so I said, Winnie, look at me. Look at me, Winnie. And she did. And you know what's awesome about having thick glasses that are trifocals? The bottoms are super thick. And so when a little child looks at grandmommy or granddaddy's eyes, they're huge. And it's like magic. The kids are like, woo. And I looked at Winnie, and I was just going, shoo, 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 shoo. Look at me, Winnie, look at me. And she did, and her whole spirit calmed down because we had a personal connection. It was relational. Look at us. And as the layman uh, fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them, it says in verse 6, but Peter said, it's interesting this phrase he uses, Peter said, I have no silver and gold. I don't know about you guys, but my wife gets all the money from the church. All the money is paid to us. I don't even know how much it is. I don't have one dollar to my name. Sometimes she gives me an allowance, which is cool. But Peter said, you know, the son of man had no place to lay his head. I don't think Jesus had a lot, a wad of cash. His disciples certainly didn't. He says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. Now, silver and gold, silver and gold, silver and gold, silver and gold. That's a Christmas thing. What is the context of silver and gold? It's the beautiful gate. The beautiful gate is covered with silver and gold and bronze. Silver and gold. It's magnificent. It's unreal expensive. And so it's kind of ironic that this man's begging, and Peter's like, well, hey, I don't have resources like the temple, but what I do have, I will give to you. What really struck me here is that the lame man was willing to settle for silver or gold, a coin, but what he really needed was to know the Lord. What he really needed was to be loved. What he really needed was relationship. And oh, by the way, being able to walk wouldn't be bad either. And so, so Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I have I give to you. 
in the name of Jesus, in the name, the holy and powerful name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. See, I'm really personally convicted by this. I love doctors, maybe too much. We used to say about my grandmother Quig, that's her name, grandmother Quig, she enjoyed going to doctors a little too much. You guys, I love doctors, I love hospitals, I love procedures, I have them all the time, so I'm not anti-doctor or nurse, you get it? You get it? But as I read this, I'm like, you know, doctors and nurses definitely have their place, right? Um, we, need, we need their care and we're grateful for it. But what I think happens so often in the church is we always want to refer somebody to a specialist. Like whether it's anxiety or depression or I bruised my elbow or whatever, whatever, my marriage is falling apart, I'm addicted. Actually, God wants to use his people. Oh, the doctors and nurses are there for those cases. But it's like we've just, we've just given it all up. Like he wants his bride, the body, to pray for people. Imagine. And you don't have to be like super religious, but just see somebody and enter in and just say, would you mind if I just pray for you? Not, not, no, I even said it wrong. Don't say, would you mind if I just prayed for you? Would you mind if I prayed for you? And then without being hyper-religious, just say the prayer. Pray for them. Lay hands on them. Ask God to do and meet them at their point of need. So in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he said, rise up and walk. And I'm guessing Peter normally would have been like, there's no way, God, I'm not going out walking that gangplank because what if I say it and he doesn't get healed? But he had just seen the Spirit's power on the day of Pentecost, filled with God's Spirit. It wasn't that he knew he could do anything, but he knew what God could do. And so he says, in the name, in the holy name of the creator God, Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And in verse 7, it didn't take long for his prayer to be answered. In verse 7, it says, he took him, and I love this, he didn't just say, hey, you dude, get up. He actually reaches down, and he takes his hand, and he says, rise up and walk. I love that because it's relational, right? The reason when we see somebody, maybe he's disfigured, or some other thing, we don't want to deal with it, we just walk on by. We turn, our, we turn our gaze, but we see the early Christians are looking at them, they're touching them, they're talking to them, they're having relationship. And it says, after he said, rise up and walk, and he took his hand, something amazing happened, just like as amazing as Pentecost. Verse eight, it says, and leaping up, and leaping up, the lame man stood, and he began to walk. You know, I think of like little kids. Like, who, we got any littles here? Well, Winnie, some of the others. When a little kid starts to walk, they take about two steps and fall down, right? It's funny. This guy, when God healed him, he didn't take like a step and teeter-totter and fall. He started walking and then he began leaping. And then out of his joy of what the Lord had done, it says he began to praise God. See, this man had been outside the temple. And there's the sense, there's a hint in scripture that he was not one of the Lord's kids. He was outside the gate. But because of what Jesus did in his life, he was now able to go into the temple. And not only did he go in, he went in with his whole heart. He came to give praise and thanks to the God who had healed him. Let's look in verse nine. 
It says, and all the people saw the man. They saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized this man as the one who had sat day after day after day at the beautiful gate, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Here's what I think. I think the church has surrendered God's call. I think when God says that you are my bride, he means it. I think when God says, I have many parts of my body and each is given a gift or grace to build up the body of Christ, that he means it. God could do this and heal and meet every need, but he entrusts most of it to his church, the bride. I wonder how many people are outside the gate how many of your friends are outside the gate? Lame, maybe not physically lame, but, but crippled with anxiety, crippled with fear, crippled with bitterness. Oh my goodness. Crippled with anger, crippled with addiction, crippled with fill in the blank. You know what I usually do when somebody says, oh, you know, I hurt my this and that. I'm like, oh, hey, I got a guy. I always, always joke, Adam Mosley always has a guy for everything. If you ever need something, call Adam Mosley. He's awesome. But I always want to refer somebody. Hey, there's a guy in Cleveland Clinic. I've heard he's like the best in the world. People fly in from all over. Let me give you his address. I refer out to people. And that's good. But you know what I often don't do? I use that as an excuse not to engage, not to look at them, not to be with them, not to walk with them, and certainly not to lay my hands on them and pray for them. And so most of the time, they sit outside the city gate, unable to enter in. I'm just wondering what it would look like if you and I uh, could step over our fear and realize, hey, this is actually fun. It's actually a blessing where God would use imperfect people like us. And we would pray for people and God would do it. Peter and John said, don't look at us. We didn't do anything. It's Jesus. The, it's Jesus who did it. I'm wondering what it might look like. Scott McLucas taught me years ago. He says, look, we have these opportunities every single day. And people are telling you their stories of woe or their hard stories. He said, before you get off the phone with them, say, would you mind if I said a quick prayer for you? Friends, it's time for the body of Christ to start being the body of Christ. Use the gifts that God has given us. Because if we do, lame people will be able to walk. Blind people will be able to see. People that are bitter will see their bitterness buried into the sea. God wants to do an amazing work through his bride, the church. Let's don't send them all to specialists while we sit back and refuse to pray for them in the holy name of Jesus. Bless you, almighty God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.